What is it you want? Real estate. It's the Red Hot Real Estate Show, where we can all find out how's it going for buyers and sellers in the real estate market. I have died and gone to real estate heaven. Looking to move? Hoping to sell? Call in with your questions to real estate expert Mimi Shoneman with Remax Results. I'm gonna go out and buy a house. Here she is, your host, Mimi Shoneman. Yes, she is. She's here with us for the Red Hot Real Estate Show, Miss Mimi Shoneman from Remax Results and the Red Hot Real Estate Group. Hello and happy show day, Mimi. Happy show day to you. Thank you. We got a full house here today. We have a full house here because also with us, our good friend Phil Olson from Cross Country Mortgage. Hello, Phil. Good morning. Hello, and we have a special guest, Mimi. You want to introduce our guest today? I do, and, <laughs> and I'm just going to tell you guys, we've had this gentleman on our show one time before, but it's been a few years. Yes. Um, we're having Todd Davis, a thank, praiser thank extraordinaire <laughs> of 21 years in the business yes. with U.S. Bank. And he is, he's your appraiser to answer any questions that you might have. What is an appraiser? What does an appraisal do? Why do you need one? You've got a challenge with your appraisal. Right. You've had one in the past. If you've ever had any questions about appraisals, now is the time to ask your questions because this man has all the answers. <laughs> Definitely. He's a guru. He's a guru. <laughs> and the number, if you have any questions today. It's 651-641-1071. It's definitely a good day to call in and go, can you please demystify these home appraisals and what I have to do when I have that going on? Because, you know, even if you've been through one, maybe you don't really understand what were what happened and what components were involved, right? Well, so with the market appreciating like it is right now, and Todd, what are what are we saying? 10 to 17 percent, depending on where you're located? Uh, easily. Um, I'm seeing... I don't know that I've seen 17% as much, but 12%, 13% I've seen very common in, in the Twin Cities metro area. Yeah. For sure. And so that is a rapidly rising market. And so Phil and I, Phil being with uh, the mortgage side of the business and me being on the real estate side of the business, we really, all of our clients need appraisals. And before we have Phil chime in, let's get his NMLS number out of the way, please. NMLS 238103, company NMLS 3029, cross-country mortgage. Yeah, and we're seeing a lot of uh, just pressure on appraisals right now because when you're looking at appraisals, you're looking at the past and the history. And so that's what makes it challenging when things are, are rising so quickly. Um, so I think that what would be the best thing, we want to invite all of our listeners to take advantage of the expertise that's in the room today and call with your questions about appraisals. Don't be shy, even if we haven't quite yet hit on your subject, because we're going to be co covering as much information as we possibly can, because we're so excited to have Todd here. Right. Um, so, Todd, let's just start by saying, what are some of the biggest challenges that appraisers are experiencing right now in the market? Well, in this market right now, the, the, the biggest issue is the shortage of inventory throughout the Twin Cities. So for every listing out there, there's probably as many as 6 to 12 interested buyers making a purchase agreement okay. or issuing a purchase agreement. And so what's happening is the the seller is listing their price at, say, 300000 And with 10 to 12 buyers interested... They're going higher and higher, and the next thing you know, the sale price is three hundred and fifty thousand. Okay. Well, now, so now we have an accepted purchase agreement, but the appraiser comes in, 
And his data is based on sales that have occurred as much as a year ago or as recent as three months ago. But when you have this drive, when the sale price is driven past the list price, many times that list price is based on what I'm going to end up basing my value on because that's the data I have. And the common question is, well, if you know that that inventory is so low and it's driving the prices, how does that not affect your appraisal? Okay. Because we need to prove our value. We need to base it on facts. And the facts are the most recent sales of the most similar properties are lower than what the sale prices are. Well, that brings up an interesting question to me, is the most similar properties. So as a real estate expert, we go out and anytime somebody makes an offer on a house, we run comparables, obviously, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that we can show them what sold in the last six months. And so when we're trying to, to do the very best job we can, I try to keep it within a, a mile radius, if at all possible, of the subject. And so, like, if you're in an older neighborhood where they built all kinds of different things, they built a two-story, they built a rambler, they built a, a four-level split, um, you know, if you don't have... a an adequate number of the same types. Let's just say you don't have enough four level splits and that's what you're trying to find. Mm -hmm. That's what Miss Shannon is buying is a four four level split. Mm -hmm. And I say to her, gosh, Miss Shannon, this is, I'm going to show you what I'll sold here in the last six months. Right. Look, we got two four Mm -hmm. level splits. The other one was not as nice as yours. And so how do you, how do you look at that as an appraiser and say, okay, so I'm going to take this whole neighborhood or are you going to go outside the neighborhood and find more four level splits? Well, both really. Um, Sometimes in a given neighborhood and the old cliche of real estate is also true in appraising location, location, location. It is true in both aspects. So the best comparables are going to be from the neighborhood, regardless of design or even square footage. But sometimes you have a neighborhood where you have a home that's very unique to everything else. Mm-hmm. You do need to consider the sales from within the neighborhood, but you also need to consider its uniqueness and say its size or its special amenities or things like that. And that would sometimes force you to go outside the neighborhood to use similar properties that are similar in physicality, not just location. So Mimi, Todd, Phil, I have a question then. Mm-hmm. Since we've been talking over the last few months about how tight the inventory is here and that's driving up the, the prices, how do appraisers ever catch up? Like, is it ever going to be, it seemed like for a while, they're like, even like 12 full months ago when I was like buying my house, it was easy to find, as you guys mentioned, comparables and things that were like, okay, this is what we think it'll praise out. This is what you're going to you know buy it at. We know it'll work. How do we catch up now because things are so tight? Um, as a mortgage perspective, the way I, I look at this is when we reach equilibrium, mm-hmm. meaning we have as many buyers as we have sellers, it's at that point in time there will be far more data for the appraiser to be able to use. Would you Would you agree with that, Todd? Yes, I would overall. Okay. But how's that going to happen? Because right now, I mean, we're not going to have less people. 
You know, unless it comes down to like, you know, Avengers Endgame and Thanos comes in and takes half of us out, we're all still here. Exactly. So what are we going to do? Yeah. So your job right now as appraiser, you know, I look at what you guys do and it's interesting because we both have real estate license or mm-hmm. you have an appraiser's license. We look at the same data. Bill, you look at the same data. Um, what I really would love to have a, fi- a finer understanding is when you look and, and when you look at an appraisal report and how you you kind of slice it and dice it. And you guys have a lot of different fields. So you do you have a cost approach. And you have a different, what's the other approach? Income approach. Income approach. But the main approach is the sales comparison approach. Yeah. Comps. And so what do most consumers, which approach do they get? They, with almost very few uh, exceptions, they only get the sales comparison approach. So the cost approach, we really only complete on new construction or homes that are that were built less than five years ago. Okay. Sometimes up to 10 years, but not very often. The income approach we use for all multifamily homes, but also if the loan includes the the homeowner is going to rent the home to tenants, we will then complete the income approach to value as well. Okay. But those are somewhat rare circumstances. So the average person listening with their single family home they're looking at their appraisal, their appraisal report, and the income approach and cost approach will be blank. Okay. Right. Yeah. So the other thing that we have going on in the Twin Cities is, I feel, this is my personal opinion, is measuring is not great here. Um, I I think sometimes you can walk into a house and it say that it be you know eighteen hundred square feet, and you look at it, you get in it, and you're like, mm, not so sure about that. And then you're you're thinking to yourself, well, on paper, when you're looking at it like that, and you're trying to find houses that are that's close in size to that one as possible, but you're saying to yourself, gosh, I don't even think this one is measured the right way. It doesn't feel like it's accurate. And in the purchase agreement, in the language, it always says that the onus is on the buyer to to verify that they're satisfied with the representation of the square footage and the acreage. What do how do you compensate for that when I know you go into a lot of houses and you're like, well you measure them. Mm-hmm. All appraisers measure them. So mm-hmm. you know that's that's important to know. Uh, but by the time the appraiser gets you the report, you know, there's no like going back about it. Right. You know, so t- talk a little bit about when you see variances in what's represented in square footage. Sure. Um, well, if it's a subject home, I can control that. If I see information that is way off from what I measure, I just double check my measurements and I make sure that what I concluded is correct. What Even- do you mean by a subject home? Todd. The home I'm appraising. Okay, gotcha. So the, the subject property is what I'm appraising. Okay. I can control that because I can measure it. Okay. And if I have my, if my number turns up vastly different from what's reported on, say, county records or MLS, mm-hmm. I measure it again. Okay. Just to make sure. And then I'll say, in spite of county records, MLS, these are my measurements. This is the square footage. This is the GLA, which we'll get to maybe. Okay. <laughs> do, do you see that very often? Yes. Okay. I see it a lot. And how, how, what's the, I say, what is the typical amount off that you see and what's the worst that you've seen? Oh, I've seen them off as far as six, 700 square feet. Wow. And it's usually when that has happened, it was an unpermitted building addition that was done on the property. So county records will not recognize it without, you know, if they get a permit, 
someone from the county, an assessor will come out and measure the home again. Okay. So if they didn't get permitted work on a property, that won't be reflected in county records. So if they built a big outdoor, like a, a, a four season porch on the back of the building. Exactly. Okay. That's when it will, when it will happen. Okay. Um, but it, in, in this market, it doesn't happen very often. Okay. I mean, most things don't go unpermitted. It just, mm-hmm. it's rare, Okay. but it happens. Um, so, so the most common square footage that I see where it's off enough where you need to be concerned is in the two, 300 square feet range. We consider anything within a hundred square feet similar. Okay. So if, if I look at a number and they came up at 1825 and I came up at 1876, I don't worry about it. Okay. I'm thinking it's the same. It's just, I measured 25 and a half feet. They measured 20 or 25, Yeah. you know? So it's the the difference is minimal. Okay. Well, when we come from back from the break, I think we'll continue talking about measuring. I specifically would like to talk about story and a halves and how fun <laughs> they are to measure and variances like that. And we love to take all of our callers, so please call and take advantage of this opportunity. Right. That number is 651-641-1071. We'll be right back on the Red Hot Real Estate Show. Welcome back to the Red Hot Real Estate Show here on My Talk 1071. Here with Mimi Shoneman from the Red Hot Real Estate Group, Mr. Phil Olson from Cross Country Mortgage, and our special guest today, Todd Davis, our appraiser from U.S. Bank. If you have any questions, call us at 651-641-1071. And so we were, were just talking about measuring. And so story and a half. Phil, you want to say something about uh, story and a half versus uh, what? Well, bungalow. I, I ended up having to do a rebuttal with an appraiser because they said, well, the, the one and a half story that's a block and a half down the road is not a bungalow. And I go, well, what's the difference between a bungalow and a one and a half? And the more I researched, I found out there was no difference between the two, and I ended up winning the rebuttal in the end. So let's give a, dis- a description of it, because if you c- call a car uh, a house a bungalow, I have no idea. To me, it sounds like something that would be on Gilligan's Island. And so what is a bungalow? <laughs> Todd. A bungalow in the appraisal world is one of several styles of a one-story home. Okay. Which so, would include a ranch, a rambler, okay. bungalow, and I'm sure there's several out there. In the appraisal world, we don't use them. Okay, gotcha. You All don't right. use that term. Nope. Okay, so you would only go by it's a ranch one rambler, one-story. It's a one-story. We don't use the words ranch, bungalow, Okay, so I I kind of feel like when you use words like ranch and rambler and bungalow, those are like differentiations of types of tissues. So I just go, well, I like Kleenex versus this other thing. Or a dressing. Correct. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Because if I if you tell me a ranch home, I'm like, okay, that reminds me of what I grew up around in Arizona. So I get that. Or if you tell me a rambler, I, I have a picture of that in my head. But Todd, you're saying that as far as. Those definitions are basically window dressing for the potential buyer. No, you don't need them. They're they're also somewhat regional. Okay, mm-hmm. a one story home in Arizona might be called a, a ranch, ranch. Mm-hmm. but that same identical home in Minnesota is probably going to be called a Rambler. Gotcha. Correct. Okay. It's Where just, I'm they're from. not. They're one story homes. Right. So they're not the technical definition. They're additional information. Okay. So okay. the way yes. I look at a story and a half that they have in the MLS that's the way that you categorize it is that you've got one half one floor and then you go upstairs 
Mm-hmm. And the reason that it's a story and a half in my mind, and as I understand it, is because the roof line is not a typical two-story square. It has angles. Correct. Okay. And so that is an interesting thing because um, sometimes I feel it's hard to distinguish between a story and a half and a two-story. Would you say that, that sometimes that can be challenging? <sighs> Not exactly, but the term one and a half story is kind of morphed mm-hmm. from what I consider a one and a half story is a home where they took a one story with an attic and finished the attic. Gotcha. Just okay. similar to what we do with some of the older homes in St. Paul that have the full attic on a two story home. They finish that and it becomes three levels. We call that a two plus. Okay. Story. Gotcha. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay, right. I sold a two plus in yeah. Northeast. Yeah. So does um, it happen the same if it goes down? Like if we finish our basement, does it count as a story and a half? Or no. is below ground, it doesn't count. Okay, right. Todd, gotcha. That, that right. gets into GLA again. Now, 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 gotcha. come, now, okay. now you're bringing up a great subject because yeah. consumers think that their their above ground space is maybe it's at a cost of $60 per square foot. Okay. But people don't understand your standard, and I could be wrong with this number, but I think it's fifteen dollars per square foot. What what what's the standard square foot that you're using for the basement for the cost? I mean, generally, just for comparison purposes, I generally it's usually right around fifty percent of the main floor. Oh, per okay. Square foot. Okay. Okay. Usually. But not always. All, All right. right. So it if depends. it was forty-five up, you'd be looking at twenty-two-five down. You could be, but okay. you have some basements. If you have a full walkout basement, ah, that okay. has a little bit more functionality and more use as living space than the home that has the little box daylight windows up in the corner, right? And they're dark mm-hmm. and they're damp. Yes, that you're going to have different value there. You're going gotcha. to have different usability for okay. sure. Because so you're not going to comp a, a store. You're not going to comp a basement that's got daylight lookout windows the same as a walkout. Sometimes. It, <laughs> okay. It, <laughs> Your life is complex. There's not. no exact <laughs> rules. I mean, there's some steadfast rules in appraising, but a lot of it simply is when I go to a house, I am trying to determine if a buyer walked in here today, what would they pay you? As long as the buyer and the seller are equally motivated. Okay. 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 The seller doesn't, or the buyer doesn't overly fall in love with the house. And the seller is just simply looking to unload their home, not because they're in foreclosure, not because they're moving, not because mom died and it's in a state. It's just simply to get full value. That's what my okay. number represents. Okay. One thing that I hear over and over again is what does it take to have your basement be considered finished? And livable and so the thing that i understand is it must have a ceiling and so that is a that is a very wide range of of criteria and on how is it finished or is it not um i've actually like if you look at a condo and they've sprayed the ceiling including the aluminum piping um black that most people say is is stylish and finished <laughs> you know so in the same thing, it, we're talking about a story and a half in Minneapolis and the basement. I can see the rafters, but they've put, uh, they've finished the area in between the rafters and mm-hmm. painted it. That's finished, correct? 
maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, like I said, I was thinking you're going to hate me for this answer. I but am. <laughs> I, I generally, I go down to the basement and I look at it as, is this reasonable as finished basement? If the answer is yes, I, I can make concessions on the general rule. The general rule of finished basement is all three surfaces have to be finished. Okay. Ceiling, wall, floor. Okay. 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 So let's talk about that. So you've got a concrete floor in the basement. Mm-hmm. The ceiling is most assuredly finished with drywall and as it are the walls. But the concrete floor, they've painted it a nice swirly with uh polyurethane on top. I'm probably gonna count it. As finished. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Same with um a ceiling where you, you can see the, the, the trusses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If I have the wall and the floor is finished. That one's a little tougher because when you see the trusses, that's unfinished looking. If it's painted, unless they're the hipsteries same, and they fixed yeah. it and put copper but paint on them, they've got some cool lights. Yes, exactly. Disco has, ball. If it has reasonable use, though, I'm still going to count. It still okay. has value, even if it doesn't meet all rules. What is a buyer going to think? That's mm-hmm. how I have to behave. Doesn't what, doesn't it have also to do with it being common for the area that the property yes, is in? Absolutely. Absolutely. The other one you'll see very common, I'm sure you've all seen it, is the floor and the ceiling's finished, but the cinder block wall, they painted white. Yeah. I'll give it to them. Really? Again, if it's reasonable. Sometimes it's like, no, this isn't finished space. And you can just, what would a buyer do? Would would they treat it as finished space? Would it be reasonable to live down here? Exactly. And that's Mm kind of how I go by. I'm going by what the buyer is going to think. Okay. Woodbury. Okay. Basement. They've got it all finished, but they've done the treatment on the cement floor. Is that that's not common in Woodbury? Is that would you count that? I'd have to see it to be honest with you. Really nice, <laughs> very nice. I would count it again. Yeah. What would be reasonable? What would a buyer think? Just because it's in Woodbury, if a buyer would look at it as finished space and be willing to pay for it, then mm-hmm. I have to consider that in my value. Right. What would the common buyer pay? So Mimi, when you're saying it's 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 finished, what do you mean by that? I mean they've had a beautiful treatment on the floor and it's been epoxied on top. Mm-hmm. Gorgeous. Okay. Um, that's what I'm talking about, but on top of cement. So when we come back, we'll continue talking about this and more about this the ceiling heights in the story and a half bungalows. We also want to keep your phone calls coming in. I see somebody that's starting with us right now. We'll get to you after the break. For everyone else, that number is 651-641-1071. Make sure you chime in. It's a great day here on the Red Hot Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Red Hot Real Estate Show here on MyTalk 1071. You can also find us on MyTalk1071.com. And in our MyTalk app, make sure you take us with you wherever you go on your phone. I'm Miss Shannon here with Mimi Shoneman from the Red Hot Real Estate Group and Remax Results. Our good friend from Cross Country Mortgage, Phil O. And then our special guest today, Todd Davis from U.S. Bank, encouraging you to be part of the show. So you can call us at 651-641-1071. And we appreciate your patience if sometimes you have to wait for us a little bit. So, Tom, we want to come to you. Thank you for patient your patience. What is your question today for our experts? Hey there. I was curious if you could talk a little bit about comparables for twin homes, particularly when there's no other twin homes that have sold in the last six months nearby it's a great question. Thank you for calling. Well, in the format of the question, that could really go with any type of property. The difficulty, if if there are no comparables available that have recently sold, is, I, I guess for me, I, I start with a certain search criteria that's as close as possible, and I just add 
parameters to it to get as close to what a potential home buyer would be looking for. So, Tom, Tom, may I ask you, what city are you in? St. Louis Park. Thank you. And Tom, can I can I stop everybody a second? So, Tom, thank you very much for your question. We're going to get back to it. But can we just explain what a twin home is? Like, if I drive past one, what am I looking for? Or what am I looking at? So, go ahead and answer. Yeah, generally, a twin home is is two separate properties that are attached by a middle wall. I okay. mean, that's the simplest way to, to describe them. So, that's what's the, the differentiation between a twin home and a duplex? Well, oftentimes, they don't have a, an HOA. Okay. And so the two owners are going to have to agree on the maintenance of the common areas, would you say? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And and a duplex typically is is one ownership mm-hmm. and is typically rented to at least one of the units. Okay. A twin home is two separate owners okay. that they have to share a common wall with. And so That's- for his question in St. Louis Park, so if there are no twin homes that have sold within six months. Is it better to go outside of St. Louis Park or is it better to go, uh, well, that was the same question, to go outside of St. Louis Park to find another twin home or would you then comp him to a similar townhome? It, it, in, in all cases, you want to stay as close to the subject and the subject is always the home I'm appraising. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to be as close to the subject as possible because location is the number one factor in, in real estate value. However, Knowing St. Louis Park, twin homes are atypical. Okay. So it's hard, it is hard to find physically similar comparables. So the, the best comparable, if there are no twin homes, would be a end unit townhome okay. as close to the subject as possible. But for me, I always want to provide, if when, when I can, at least one comparable that is physically similar, even if I have to go a little bit outside its immediate market area. And then try to account for the market difference. Okay, so what if it's longer than six months? Let's just say in St. Louis Park a year ago, which we all know was a different world. Right. Um, but a year ago, a twin home in St. Louis Park sold. Is that a better comparable than, say, going to Hopkins? It, yeah, it kind of is. Uh, now, we are in a very unique market. So this market may not be the best option, but maybe I would do both. I would use a twin home over a year old, right near it, and use the Hopkins twin home as well. And then just kind of, sometimes like I tell people that this comping stuff, and I'm sure in your world it feels even more like this, is more of an art than a science. Uh, Phil? From a mortgage perspective, when I run into a situation like that, I might actually reach out to the appraisal management firm, and I might mention to them, get the appraiser to get me as many comps, even if we're stepping outside of the footprint that we want to be in. And the more data, the better, which then allows that appraiser to maybe dial in using maybe five, seven, ten comps and then dial in to to a dollar amount that will then be able to be underwritten and approved. Because in a situation like that where we have very few comps and we only have maybe one good comp, me going that extra step and getting additional data put into that appraisal is normally the way to get that loan done. Tom, Tom, how's this sounding for you right now? Well, it's really interesting because that's not quite what the appraiser did at the time. Well, tell us a little bit about that. What happened? 
they ended up using townhomes for a major for major comparables but the the main comparable was uh it was a twin home that sold seven eight months ago and it was sold for i don't, I don't know if this makes a difference but it sold for cash cash sales do make a difference and it's not a huge difference but if you're going to use a cash sale comp i always make sure i use other conventional loan comps or you know something similar to the the loan being used because the cash sale okay. wouldn't have had an appraisal to begin uh, with it may not have had an appraisal and many times it's sold for a little bit less than full market not always but sometimes it does okay um no, that's pretty standard though yeah not yeah. anymore <laughs> well, no, not anymore yeah. yeah um so i do have a question about that so let's just say that outside of the traditional it's longer than six months let's say it's seven months it's not in St. Louis Park. It's in Hopkins, but it is a twin home. And a, let's just say it was a year ago, just for even numbers. Would you ever take the appreciation amount that's happening in that particular city and then do the math and add that to the value? Do it all the time. All the time. Yep. Okay. So if we know St. Louis Park is appreciating at 15% and that's that home sold a year ago, you just take a similar comp, that one. And add the fifteen percent to give you something. I generally cap time adjustments as what you're describing. Mm-hmm. I generally cap them at a maximum of ten percent. And generally, it's because time adjustments that large mm-hmm. underwriters don't like them. Okay, well, and they're uh, going to want more comps sometimes. As a mortgage perspective, I mean, I can see Hopkins and St. Louis Park being very similar and the type of properties. Now, if somebody were to say, uh, we're going to comp out a property in Hopkins and then compare it to Edina, now we're we're going, there's an apples Mm -hmm. apples to oranges situation. I wouldn't even do it. Right. I wouldn't, wouldn't, when I saw the report, I would say, hold one here. There's something wrong here. This is not going to fly. Did you have that happen? Oh, well, I'm just... I haven't had that happen per Mm -hmm. se, but if I see that, when I review the appraisal, I'm looking at that type of data. I'm trying to determine, is the data that's being presented valid? So, Tom, is that, how's that following up with you? It makes sense so far. The the reason I'm asking is because the whole deal when I, uh, when, when I sold this, it was was kind of, it was, it was was a bit heated Mm -hmm. because the, the house ended up selling for about $40,000 less than than myself and then the buyer even wanted. We had three different buyers that were were uh, trying to they were trying to purchase it at about $40,000 above what the what the appraiser ended up thinking it was. And that's why I was curious. And did it but sell? Then, did it close? It did close, yes. Okay, and you were the seller. Yes. Okay. Did you get a did you have were you a, was it a conventional offer on the property? You know that they could have done a fully brand new appraisal through a different appraisal firm. Did they even present that to you? Well, the buyers didn't. No. Okay. Did you get an appraisal gap? And we'll talk about that a little bit. I'm sorry. Did we get what? Did you have an appraisal gap in your purchase agreement? Your buyer did they offer you that? I don't believe so. Okay. But it's been a year. It's been about. Okay. Years, so 
I'm not sure. Okay. Gotcha. Well, thank you so much. And if you'd like to leave your information with our producer, we can answer any follow-up questions you might have. So we'll make sure everybody contacts you, Tom. Thank you very much. And it sounds like it was a complicated and, as you said, heated situation. So we'll make sure our experts follow up with you and maybe they can help untangle it and maybe give you a little more peace of mind, at least, about the process that you went through. That sounds wonderful. Thank you very much for answering the question. Thank you, you very bet. much, Tom. We appreciate Thanks. you calling. Cindy, we appreciate your patience. Cindy, thank you for calling the Red Hot Real Estate Show. It looks like you have a question about appraising the home versus appraising the property. Do I have that right, Cindy? Yes. Okay, you go ahead and go ahead and ask your question to our experts, and let's see if we can have this all make sense for you. Okay, um, I live in Wyzetta, um, close to the downtown area. I live in an 860-square-foot house. I've heard it referred to as a bungalow, one level, you know, with a cellar. Okay. And um, the properties all around me have, um, you know, been torn down, um, rebuilt, remodeled, all of that. So the properties around me are valued anywhere from 800 to a million five. Um, my house, when I bought it 15 years ago, was uh, 223000 Um So, question there. The property it's on is really, really nice. It's like a quarter of an acre. But the house itself, you know, it's, it's a 102-year-old house. What's your question for our appraiser experts, Cindy? Oh, okay. So how do they value the property then? How do they value the house and the property separately, or what do they do? Well, for for every property, we are valuing the entire property. Oh, okay. we, We don't, we do sometimes provide our estimate of land value. But okay. generally, our appraisal report is the land and all what we call improvements. The improvements are the home, um, pole barns, garages, guest houses, whatever may be on a property. Those are considered the improvements. So our appraisal report is what that property is worth with everything. So we really don't generally separate the land from oh, okay, the improvements. I get it. Yeah, okay. yeah. So you're you're where you're located. Your house, by the way you've described it now, without seeing it, and also without appraising in your neighborhood for several years, I'm not the perfect expert for this, but it sounds sure. like your property could be considered underimproved um, with with all the the larger homes rebuilt around you, and so that will present a challenge for the appraiser to to choose comparables and conclude the most likely value that someone would pay you for your property and so for to kind of like dial down on that so you would take the city you would take the school district you would take the square footage of that house and maybe extrapolate what a a dollar per square foot for a similar age home yes okay exactly okay the the, the location and school district is another uh area i like to stay within yes definitely I, i have a lot of people that are surprised by that um phil the condition of the home, though, is also going to come into play when you're dealing with these older homes that are 80, 100, 100 plus years homes. How does that play an effect into the appraisal, Todd? Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Let me just interject. Oh, I, sure. I'm, which I'm sure whoever would 
purchase it would tear the house down. <clears throat> Excuse me, that's what they're doing. They're buying $500,000, $600,000 houses, tearing them down, and then building new properties. So I don't think the house would be, yeah. Anyway, I was just curious. So in that case there, the value of the land is going to play a larger part than your home yeah. on it. Okay. So, yeah, the, that's so if I'm the appraiser, I'm probably considering land comparables just to for, to get an idea where to begin. Because if it's, if it's typical in that narrow neighborhood to tear down, the improvements have little value. And so... Right. Um, so it's land comparables. It'll be a combination. Be, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, Cindy, mm-hmm. I think that maybe we could have a, a longer dialogue about this off air if we could leave your uh, information yeah, with our producer. Okay. And we can get back with you. Okay. Very good. Okay. Thank helps. you for Great the question. Call. Thank yeah, you. Really good okay. call. What a difficult scenario people like Cindy are in where they're going, I love this house, but I understand that it, maybe the the neighborhood has moved beyond me. Well, you're seeing it every day in, okay. Edina, in Edina. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people, you'll go to a house, it's a like a rambler, and then you'll have a, a million dollar two story right next to it cast wow. in shadow. Phil? I, I had a client that just bought a $550,000 home, mm-hmm. didn't know what they were planning on doing. I figured they were going to live in it. They bought it, and they've already called me three months later. Phil, now we're hiring a contractor. We're going to tear it all the way down to the foundation, and we're going to build a brand new home. Do you see that happen, Todd? Yeah, all the time, especially uh, especially lakefront property. Okay. Is people want the land. They want the space, and they don't even care what's there, mm. and they'll tear it down and rebuild what they want. I see that all the time. Yeah, that wood is worth it. Welcome back to the Red Hot Real Estate Show here on My Talk 1071 and streaming on MyTalk1071.com. Here with Mimi Shoneman from the Red Hot Real Estate Group, Mr. Phil Olson from Cross Country Mortgage, and our special guest today, appraiser extraordinary. Todd. Oh my gosh. <laughs> right? right? Exactly. It's like the, the four of us Boom. are like in, ensconced with every word that comes out of his mouth. Um, I just want to tell everybody if I'm you, <laughs> we'll fan you after the show Um, if anybody wants more information about appraisals mortgage or real estate please text that to 651-578-2218 or email the show here at my talk 1071 okay um so todd we have so many things that we're talking about during this this break but what the one thing that i think everybody wants to know is what can people do to their house the most cost-effective way to make it a price for hire Immediate increase is paint your house. Okay. Paint the inside of the house. Okay. They, they've they said, I've heard, and I think it's pretty accurate, for the cost you would pay a contractor to come in and paint the in- inside of your home, you're talking 500% increase in value. So if you wow. hire a contractor and he charges you $1,500, $2,000, you can you're going to add ten thousand dollars in value to your home yeah. just for painting the inside of it. Just okay. paint it if yourself. You, mm-hmm. <laughs> I've I've heard, yeah, paint it yourself because that's the contractor cost, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you get a few people over for with with pizza and have a painting party, five hundred percent from the contractor cost. You add a lot of money, and mm-hmm. and I, every real estate agent I've ever said or not ever, I've been told that they tell all their clients. Okay, hey. we're not doing anything till you paint your house. Okay, I've heard right. a lot of mm-hmm. lot of real estate like so, you, Amy. 
So the interesting thing, it, you know, it all kind of, it goes back to the human element. You're human. You are a human looking at human things and you are, are affected by what's happening in the world. And you're an expert looking at all kinds of thousands of houses. And so you can't help but be influenced by what is happening in the world. Um, if you look at pictures online and all of us do, that's exactly where we start to look at houses. You can, color is enormous in resale. And so having fresh paint, it, it stimulates a lot of different senses. First, your visual and then your smell. It's huge. And your mm-hmm. appraiser just said it's worth 500%. So that's where you start. Now, flooring. That is my number two is flooring. Um, if you've got carpet that's mismatched or it's got pet stains or even if it's not, it smells. Let's just say that you've had pets and the, the difference between an oily coat animal versus one that's not. And when somebody new walks into your house, even though you're used to smelling your own house, they smell it. And that is an instant impression. Your imp- your uh, opinion about flooring. Uh, very similar to that. It Appearances mean everything. You can You can make anything look a lot more presentable than it may be otherwise. Okay. So if nothing else, now we keep talking about how the how to raise the value of your home. Well, I'm I'm always going to step in and say, why do you want to do that? Mm-hmm. What is the purpose for raising the value of your home? If you're going to sell it, okay, we want to take a different approach then because every dollar you put into that house, you're doing it for somebody else. Right. So if you're doing it for somebody else, you should be get getting something out of it. So if if Replacing all your flooring can cost as much as ten to fifteen thousand dollars, but it could also cost as little as a dollar fifty a square at Menards. <laughs> you know, it, it de- yeah, yeah, depending on what you want to put in and, and your abilities to do it yourself and things like that, it can. You're just saying that for the amount of even sweat equity you might have to put into something like that, you may not get as much return as you would if you paint. Right. Right. So right. maybe you don't have to do both. If you, if it's only going to net you another, you know, five grand and you're like, okay, is it worth it for All the right. amount of work that and, you and did? And that's so, it. So okay. if, if you're, if you're going to sell your home, mm-hmm. then do, do the things necessary to make your home fully marketable. Okay. But you don't want to add additional costs to yourself when you're going to sell it. You're it's just, not going to get you additional Right. Oh, so like right. all of the landscaping, other than cleaning, like Mimi and, and you, you've always said, OK, make sure that the curb appeals that in, you go get the cobwebs down, do the cleaning. Yes. That part I'm saying. Absolutely. But Todd, as far as the hey, I'm going to rip out all these shrubs and put in brand new shrubs and that's going to increase the value of my house. Is no. it? It will no. not. It will not. It will OK, not. No. Gotcha. because anything you do on the outside of your walls, mm-hmm. you have to keep in mind that approximately 50 percent of the people out there will agree with you. Okay, so okay. let's talk about chipping, peeling paint. As we all know, FHA will not allow that. And so if I go into a house and I see it's got chipping, peeling paint, that's one of the first things we talk about is you're eliminating a buyer pool right off the bat if this isn't addressed. And so there's a, a Phil, you could say, I mean, what percentage of FHA buyers are out there just desperately looking for a good house? Hmm. It's enormous. It's enormous. Hundreds. Yeah. And so if you, what's your opinion about painting the outside for that purpose? Well, in other times, I would say yes. Mm -hmm. This summer, with the way our market is, 
everything is selling. Okay. And so you could be better off just saying, the heck with it. An investor will come in and flip my house anyway. Right. So I don't need to paint the outside. I don't need to worry about FHA, FHA buyers. But generally, you don't want to eliminate any buyer pool Okay. in exactly. most years. The one thing real quickly I'd like to say is if you've got maintenance issues with the home, take care of them because most of your buyer or most of your buyers out there are going to have some form of inspection wanting to be done. Mm -hmm. And if you take care of the micro maintenance issues, guess what? That's not going to come back to bite you in a counter offer. Mimi? Well, you, you know, yes. And we are seeing a lot of, a lot of inspections being waived at the moment, but you do want to take care of any kind of deferred maintenance uh, because it is going to, you know, it's representative. Like if you go into a, lot, a utility room and you see cobwebs and dust and dirt, you know, it leaves a certain impression that these that it hasn't been maintained very well. And so then it causes you to pause and go, well, was this furnace service? Was the, you know, what's going on with the water heater? Those sorts of things. And an appraiser thinks that same thing. Okay. Well, when we come back next week, we're going to also have Todd Davis and also Phil. Paying bills on time? Not maxing out credit cards? Yes, give yourself credit. You can get closer to big goals like home ownership by taking small steps to build up your credit. Level up your credit knowledge at Fannie Mae.com slash credit education. Hey.